You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Mic check. Check, check one. Do I sound good in your headphones? Oh, you sound nice. Okay, good. How about how about me? You sound, I, gr- you sound great. Okay. Okay. Well, Ben Harshine is in the nine. And I got to start that a different way because you deserve a little bit bigger of a, you deserve like a big introduction. <laughs> like how a, about all that? How about like we do a introduction like uh, a monster truck rally? Let's do it. It's like, all right. <clears throat> I might have to pull the mic back on this one. Right. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, where you will pay for your whole seat, but you will only use the edge. Today's guest, <laughs> none other than the Huntera Mapping King himself, Ben Harshine. <sighs> the crowd goes wild, huh? <laughs> Thanks for having me, buddy. We are sitting right here in the... Nine Finger Chronicle Studio, which is just another room in my house, and uh, we're going to be sipping on some some brews. This is a laid back session. Hey, uh, this is day number three for me and you seeing each <laughs> yeah. other. Yeah, three in a row. Three days in a row. We uh, we're probably seeing each other too much. People are going to start talking or something. I mean, is it official yet? Well, do we make it official right here on the show? Here we go. <laughs> We're good friends. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of creepy, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's just let's just clear the air. The uh, Saturday was for work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then Sunday we were good family men. Yep. And we got our families together and had an awesome Father's Day. Hey, happy Father's Day, man! Cheers. Happy Father's Day. Cheers to you, to you too. Uh, and then uh, here we are today doing some nine fingers. We're chronicling. We're chronicling today. Absolutely. All right. So first and foremost, when we did the original, like, cause you were a guest on, back on the podcast almost over a year ago, one of the very first podcasts that I put out. And since that time, you have had a kid, right? Now I'm a huge, like this bell curve where, you know, on one end you have no kids and you can hunt as it's like an upside down bell curve, right? So, right up 
at the very top, no kids, you can hunt all the time. You know, you get married, that bell curve goes down a little bit, and then you have a kid, and then that really goes down. The peak on the, the other end. The right? peak. So, like, the peak is when my peak, like, I'm, I'm on approach to my peak because I got a third kid coming, right? And then the activities will start happening. But as the kids get older, I'll be able to, you know, and they can start wiping their own butts. I'll be able to start hunting a little bit more. There you go. I think you're becoming the master of efficiency, though. That's right. Right. That's the goal, anyway. Yeah. Using your trail cams, your advantage. So, have you seen? Is that hold true for you? Um. It it, it is to an extent. Uh, you know, we've got. So, this is year three for me in Iowa. This will yep. be this will be season number three as an Iowa resident. So, um, I hunted a heck of a lot the first. The, the past two seasons, uh, even last year, more so than, than probably what I deserved. Um, but, uh, you know, my wife definitely gave me kind of the, the reins on trying to chase down this deer that, that I have for a couple of years. But on the other hand, uh, you, you know, especially once you get into the grind, which I, I, I think, you know, this, I really celebrate the grind, you know, I like to earn it. I Absolutely. feel like, I feel like, uh, you know, there's been few seasons in my life where I went out and first or se- second sit, you know, shot the deer I was going after. But, but anyways, uh, um, I just, you start to feel guilty almost yeah. to, to an extent. I, right. I don't know how much that really gets talked about, but it certainly weighs on me when those days are, you know, it just seems like day after day after day in, in, you know, you got obligations at home to an extent, but on the other hand, you know, we look forward to that. We look forward to the fall. We think about it all year and then we right. get this potent one or two weeks that we can dedicate. Right. And then, uh, next thing you know, it's like, man, you know, it starts, starts to wear on you mentally too. And then they, yeah. and then, and then, uh, maybe a deer comes around the corner and, and changes the season really quick. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, for this last year, I ended up harvesting right off the bat, like day two of my hunting season. And even even within that two-day period where I had like four different sets in two total days, I started feeling that a little, you know, man, should I be home right now? Like, am I putting too much pressure on my wife? Sure. And then it's like, wait, I work so hard throughout the entire season where you shouldn't feel guilty mm-hmm. for for taking that time but you know that you know my my son and my daughter when they're on and I'm like talking sassiness level number 10 it is absolutely crazy in this house and then for my wife to do it alone it's just, it's almost like I'm screwing her over in a way yeah if that makes sense yeah i i've got uh you know whenever i leave the house and and, and go visit clients or or for whatever reason, I get away from the house a little bit. Uh, my little guy's 18 months now, and he's really starting to, to rip. I mean, he's, yeah. he's climbing over everything. He's talking with you. He's a lot to handle just for K. So yep. uh, it, it definitely does wear on you. But, uh, no, it's, it's good stuff, though, too. You know, yeah, being being a sure. dad is awesome. So uh, hopefully be able to take our, take our boys out in, in the field here not too long from now. Heck, yeah. You know? I can imagine it, st- it starting off as like a – like a shed hunt because your son's name is Jack. Jack. My son's name is Mac. And just like the Jack and Mac, like, I don't know, for some reason it sounds like two guys who are going to get into a shit ton of trouble as they get older and hang out. And, uh, 
I don't know. It's like Mac's going to probably blame it on Jack and Jack's going to probably blame it on Mac. But really together, they're going to be like this duo <laughs> that's just going to probably, okay, this is the Johnson County Sheriff's right. Department. <laughs> Can you say. come pick up your children? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Mac and Jack are a couple letters away from each other, so they're going to be mixed up in the police reports often. <laughs> but uh, Knock on wood, because yeah. my, uh, my wife would crap her pants if that happened. <laughs> but, but you have and you met you just hinted to it a little bit like five minutes ago and this story of a buck that you call pork doesn't seem to want to die (laughs) and first off i want to talk to you a little bit about this particular buck pork give a because you've you've been on as a hunter profile on this podcast too and we talked about um this buck named pork that you've given the name pork to. So what I want you to do is give a really quick from the beginning till mm-hmm. what happened in April yeah. type of scenario real fast. And then let's slow down and talk to uh, talk in detail about what your goals are for this upcoming season. Okay. Uh, so moved to Iowa in the, in September of 2014, uh, was not a, a, a resident long enough to get a resident tag. So my first season was the fall of 2015. And uh, the house that my wife and I bought, my parents were were in town. We were they were visiting. We were working on the basement of the house, and and it was right at the end of September, beginning of October. So uh, October second would have been my, my first sit in an Iowa tree as a, as a resident and as a not. I mean, I I never hunted Iowa as a non-resident. So my dad was with me, and it was kind of fitting because you know the guy that introduced me to to hunting is there. I'm like, we got the perfect wind for, right. for one of these, uh, double sets that I hung and, um, just a beautiful night. And we're, we're seeing deer come out into the soybean plot and, and, uh, we hear this thrashing and you could kind of see, we were, we were hunting this inside corner and on the other side of the draw, you could see legs and, and the cedar tree just moving back and forth. Right. And, and, and the deer it was steps out and it's probably uh i mean right off the bat fully mature i'm saying five plus right pot-bellied pig of a buck and that was in 2000 2015 2015 okay yep 2015 um probably a i would say a, a low 60s deer Aus just an awesome high clean 10 point and um he never you know i'm thinking on one hand if this deer comes past there's no way i'm going to shoot him or I, there's no way I'm going to pass. Them. Right. But on the other hand, uh, here I am moved, moved to Iowa. I'm looking forward to putting a full season in. So yeah. he did not come into range. Uh, and my dad's nickname is pork. And that's, <laughs> that's a story in of itself. But I thought of kind of fitting to name this deer pork. And right. some people are like, well, that's kind of weird. You want to kill the buck that you named after your dad, but it's in, it's the honor of the beast, man. That's honor, right. you know, it's honor a, the beast. honor, honor, you know, you got to honor the deer and, and uh, honor my, uh, the guy who, who, who introduced me to the woods. So, um, but anyways, uh, six encounters in 2015 with him, Man. uh, the closest would have been November uh, 11th. Uh, dad and I were scheduled to go to Kansas and I, I sat Iowa in the morning and I had to be in the truck heading to Kansas by noon. And, um, at 11 o'clock I came to full draw on him and he needed about two more steps, but, uh, the, the wind just wasn't, uh, wasn't quite right for me. He knew something wasn't quite, uh, quite right. And, and, uh, he took off, um, and then I never did get a crack at him for the rest rest of the season. I think November 11th would have been maybe my third 
encounter with him, and then I saw him three more times after that, or two more times after that. Uh, and then he, and then he basically disappeared kind of after, um, I, I don't have a ton of food on the property that I hunt. So, um, uh, in, uh, he, he disappeared. I, I ran cameras all summer, never did, uh, never did get him. Um, and then I, I switched in, in September, I switched to, yeah. to scrape setups. Um, and it was just really neat. Uh, the, the first picture I got of him was, um, uh, the very first picture I ever got of him was October 10th. 2015 at 10 30 at night on a on this scrape and uh, and wouldn't you know it he shows up in 2016 october 10th at 9 30 so three, 365 days and, and one hour earlier he shows up and and what's really crazy is that's the only time he, he hit that scrape and that was it he made his introduction and he never visited that scrape again and i don't think i boogered him up uh the previous year he wasn't hitting the scrape that often e- either um but I knew that he was still alive. Right. And then I was getting sporadic pictures of him on the south end of the farm and on the west end of the farm. Um, so that leads into the 2016 season. I, I set a stand in the off season in this really thick kind of uh, set of brushy spurs that come off the, off the neighbor's pasture I call Dark Hollow. And it was just a really thick, nasty part of the farm. Right. Really tough to get into, so I never ran cameras there. In fact, I didn't hunt that first year there. Um, well, in the summer, I, I did hang a, a flyer, you know, rut stand, thinking yeah. it would be a good spot. And, and, and this ended up being the stand that I sat November 4th, 2016, thinking, okay, if I'm getting pictures of pork on the south end and the west end, this is kind of in the middle of the deal. So uh, I went in there on November 4th, and uh, I saw six bucks by, man, by about 9 o'clock. It was, they were really moving well. And... Uh, the wind completely switched on me. We had an east wind, and then at 10, 1030, it turned out of the west. I knew I had to get home and make some, uh, get back to work. So as I'm letting my bow down, here he comes around the corner. And and he's on the trail. That My wind's going on. Yeah. In hindsight, I, I know that I panicked, and I, I knew he was going to hit that trail, so I thought maybe I could get him off of it with a, with a grunt. And uh, it, it he did. He, he was interested in that. He just didn't. He didn't come straight up the hill. He continued to circle and use the wind as advantage. Caught a whiff of me, um, but then he just kind of carried on. He didn't totally blast out of there. He crossed the, the creek and, and just kind of continued on. <clears throat> so November 6th, um, we had a southeast wind, and so I, I hung at the north end of Dark Hollow. It's 14 acres, just a, a block, and I hung at the north northwest corner, and he came. He was the first deer I saw, 7 in the morning, came right up the ditch, just he was in bow range but he was in too too thick a cover yeah um and knowing that i boogered him up with a grunt 36 hours ago i didn't grunt at him and he right. just i sat the rest of the day for him never saw him uh, the very next day the wind was going to be variable uh not much speed to it so I, I i brought a lone wolf in with me thinking okay if I, if I get get to that first stand i encountered him on the abyss if, if the wind is getting weird i'm gonna, just gonna run and gun right later on into the morning well, right um, as I'm walking down the, the, the creek bottom, there's this opening and, um, it's almost like a family room, the, about the size of a family room as I've been describing it. And, and just intuition hit me. It may sound cheesy or cliche, but it, I've trusted my gut in the past when these things happened with me, which is like something telling me right now, just do this, <laughs> right, you know? So, right. and, and, uh, you know, I, I knew right then I was just going to hang a stand r- right there. And I, I remember looking to my left and, and 
it was full moon, so I could see this split in the tree. It was like perfect. Right. Okay, I can hang without a, uh, even putting a flashlight on. Yeah. Got up in there, uh, and by 8.30, um, he was right in front of me with a doe. Uh, they came off this flat. She button hooked in right into that family room, and he wanted to head out of the creek bottom. And, of course, the wind is going down that creek bottom. Yeah. And uh, uh, he just he shook me up big yeah. time. And finally, uh, once she dropped down into the creek and he lost sight of her, uh, he couldn't handle that. He came came out. And if I would have gave him two more seconds to bury that pin where I needed to. Yeah. Uh, but I was I was at full draw for a long time. He picked me out. And mm-hmm. then we basically stared at each other for what seemed like a minute. You right. Know? Um, as soon as he hit that opening, I let it go. And I just initially, boom, he's just bleeding immediately. Right. And I'm thinking, okay. It was not a gut shot. I'm thinking liver. Right. He ran about. He, he, he bounded like maybe four or five times and looked back. And, and blood's coming out of him real good. And then he just kind of carried along the contour of that of that, that crick bank. Yeah. Um, and that's when basically I, I waited there for two hours listening for him. Uh, got down, got my arrow, slipped out of there, and then I called you. Yeah. Um, called you and, and Casey. Uh, you guys came up and, and uh, helped me track him. Uh, really were hoping to find him. We thought maybe we were based off of where I thought I hit him. Um, but then we found out later on, uh, you, you know, that night we lost blood. Casey went back in with me and we ended up bouncing him. Right. Um, and, uh, and that was basically the end of, of chasing pork for the rest of the rest of the 2016 season. We bounced him. Casey said he looked, uh, he looked, he said, dude, he looks healthy as a horse, and, yeah. and, and I got pictures of him 12 days later with a, just a nice, clean uh, hole in him, uh, and it was high. It was yeah. in that no-man's land backstrap. Above the spine, you yeah, think? But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it was a – no, it was not – I don't believe it to be above the spine, um, but it was definitely just in his probably really close to it and just yeah. solid meat. Yeah. I might have nicked the liver with finding a couple of those black spots of blood. Right. Um, but obviously didn't do enough damage to him to, for him to die, but I never did get a picture of him on any of my late season food sources. And, and then I saw, started to kind of wonder, yeah. uh, so, uh, that leads into the off season. And, um, I, I was, before we get into that yeah. though, I want to ask once you realized that pork had been hit and then he disappeared from trail cameras and you went shed hunting and you didn't find any sheds of his, uh, trail, no trail camera picks. What was going through your head as a hunter of a buck that, you know, you spent so much time obsessing about? Um, I was pretty much coping with it's time to move on. Yeah. You know, uh, it was fun. It's one of the reasons why I selfishly, you know, moved out here, um, not only for the business, but for, for these whitetails and, and yeah. to put together stories like this. So I was totally fine with understanding, you know, what it, what does it mean to really commit to one animal? Yeah. Um, and, and obviously I saw the, the kind of the dark side of that where, yeah. you know, it's not a, a fairy tale ending. Um, but I had no regrets. I mean, he, ta- he taught me more than any deer that I've ever hunted so far. And uh, we had a, quite a journey and he definitely made my heart pound again this past year. So the fact that I, I didn't get pictures of him I, and I thought maybe he did vanish, I mean, I've heard too many stories of, of, of people going through the same thing yeah. and then a deer, that deer shows back up in their life in the most, you know, opportune times, I guess. But right. uh, on the other hand, there weren't many signs pointing me to him believing right. he's still around. Absolutely. Uh, 
so it it was what it was. I I, I wasn't um, like bumming or anything like yeah. that, but I I definitely realized that I need to uh, when I get you know put myself in in, in a position of being able to uh, you know get a crack at my my goal of the season. Uh, I'm gonna have to change some things things fundamentally from a shot perspective or from a mentality perspective, right. so that I don't keep going down this path. Right. And that's, that led me into, you know, ditching the, the trigger release and trying to reteach myself how to shoot, get, get somehow get this target panic or buck fever out right. of me. And, uh, you and I were talking yesterday. Yep. It's, you know, there could be a 180 that just comes, came out of nowhere and into my life. And I probably would have been a lot more calm with that deer as opposed to watching this buck would have been encounter number 10 right. for two seasons. I you know, watched him for 20 minutes. He knew I was there, and yeah. it was just an intense scene. So, yeah. uh, But then again, I, I could never replicate that with any other experience in life, and that's what that's that's the good stuff, you know. Right. So, uh, yeah, going into the off season, I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's time to move on. And uh, talking with my landowner's daughter, and she, uh, she said, oh, yeah, I was – I was down, uh, I was looking for morels the other day, and this is April 12th. Yeah. I was looking for morels the other day, and, and uh, I bounced a big buck. And, and I said, really? You know, where was it? And she starts describing, and, and, and she was in the creek bottom that right. I, I shot him at. And uh, I said, okay, well, what, what did he look like? And she said, oh, I've lived in Iowa 37 years. That was a big one. I couldn't, I didn't count his points, but he was sky high. Yeah. And... <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a pretty good telltale sign. I mean, there's two key pieces of evidence right there. Uh, so I do not have a camera down there yet. Um, I'm still going to wait. In fact, I'm going to wait until it really storms hard, and I'm going to try to slip down there and get a camera uh, in there and just let it soak. But but there's cows. You know, there's there, it's a cattle farm. Right. So I, I just don't know. Being that I ran cameras there these past couple of summers and never really caught him. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if when maybe when the crops come out or or there's excuse me there's this fall shift that happens with them physiologically it's yeah. time to move to another another you know uh, another piece of ground and and uh, maybe he's just showing up in fall yeah either way uh, boy I got my fingers crossed right you know so typically when I talk to someone who's not necessarily a hunter like my, for example my wife right and she says oh man I saw a really big buck down here on the corner. Uh, you know, coming, coming into town. I said, Oh yeah. How big was it? Oh yeah. It was, it was really big. And people don't necessarily who, they don't know how to describe a buck if they're not in a tree stand hard, like compared to a hardcore hunter. Sure. So with that said, do you think based off of what she saw and what, how she described it, do you think it could possibly be pork? I, I do honestly. Uh, I want to believe it for sure, but I also, you know, trying to take my bias and my emotions out of it, I still do think it could be him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a part of the farm that I really haven't spent much time on. I treated it almost almost like a sanctuary. Obviously, yeah. I hunted it this past year, so it's not technically one, but I didn't spend much time down there, and it's super secluded. Yeah. Um, and just her describing it seemed like I mean, she grew up on this farm. Right. She's seen some big deer. So. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he's still holding. It's, yeah, Both so antlers we on didn't a, even, <laughs> April twelfth. Yeah, we didn't even address the craziest part of that story. Is, that it, is, is it this this you know this deer, whether it's pork or not, is still carrying a April twelfth. And if it is him, well, he took a he took a, a broadhead 
you know, months beforehand, which, you know, a lot of times these deer stress, they'll drop early. Yeah. And clearly it just didn't phase them. So, uh, the quest continues, man. And it, that, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do this fall. Yeah. You know, it'd be it's, nice to. So do you have an approach towards this piece of property that you have? Because as hunters, I think part of the fun that we have every, every year is daydreaming and planning and putting together some kind of strategy so that when the season does come that we know what we're going to do for, you know, either a hit list or a specific buck, or if you're, hell, if you're just a guy who likes to go out and hunt the first thing that walks by your stand, we kind of have a, we kind of have a plan that's been put together for us. We, we daydream about that. Is that something that you do? And is that kind of, is it affecting how you approach the same piece of property compared to other years? Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely daydreamed or, or dreamt about, mm-hmm. you know, finally catching up with this one deer that I'm chasing or these couple deer that I, I have history with. Um, this past year it was pork or bust. There was, and there was really not even running cameras. Uh, I, uh, in almost full confidence, I could not find another five-year-old. Right. Um, and, 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 pork this past year would have been six at least uh coming into this season seven you know plus um however there were two deer well actually three uh and i'm not quite sure the age uh one of them could have been a four-year-old last year i think both of them two of the three uh were just really really nice three-year-olds um so I, I don't know, you know, going into this coming season, um, I'm going to kind of reevaluate what, uh, what other mature deer are there. Right. Um, because I, I know that if, if pork shows up, I'd like to give them everything I, I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know in the past two years what that's taken yeah. and, and also the toll that that's taken on maybe my business or my family too. Yeah. So just to be totally realistic and not, you know, Hector Macho Camacho and say it's pork or bust for another year, right. uh, I'm going to do everything I can if he is still alive to kill him. Mm-hmm. But then again, if I've got a, you know, if I've got a five-year-old deer that comes past or a, just a, a solid buck that comes past yeah. uh, my stand, man, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot him. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to kind of get back to that as well. So, right. um, I really enjoy hunting and, and it's, you know, I don't want a, a specific deer to kind of take me away from maybe some of the other, the other joys of it, you know, right. but on the other hand, I mean, it was, it was a blast to chase him. I just yeah. put, I probably put 40 sits in for him, right. you know, and that, that adds up. <laughs> I tell you what, I, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate here a second. I've told you the story about this buck I called shipwreck, right? I, I was hunting this buck for four or five years this was before I was married, right? So I could put in a shit ton of time in the timber chasing this particular buck. I had several encounters with him over those years. And every season I said the exact same thing that you just said where it's like, hey, man, I'm going to – if a solid buck walks by, I'm going to shoot him. However – But you didn't. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I find myself – this is – from a look standpoint, I'm, I'm pointing at one of the – uh, bucks on my wall it's one of the biggest but this is the biggest buck just by looks that i have ever shot now i passed deer similar to this on a yearly basis 
because I was after shipwreck. And I look back on that and I, I don't want to say I regret it because I learned a, a ton from just like you and pork and me and this shipwreck buck, you learn a lot. These, these, they give you an education, but I look back, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if I really regret not shooting some of these, these deer that walked by, or I absolutely love the fact that I, it's been, you know, it's been five years and I'm still talking about this buck, right. Mm -hmm. That I didn't even kill and how much of an education it gave me and how much. So it's one of those things where it's like, you sit on this balancing and it's probably going to depend on the day, you know, it's like, Oh, here comes a 150 class 10 pointer walking by your stand. Really good buck. But you got show camera pictures the night before of pork using the exact same, you know, trail and scape. And you're like, Oh, what do I do? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it is. And, and I mean, it is easy for us to lay out these scenarios and, and, and come, come November. Uh, who knows that who knows what's going to be running through our, our, uh, uh, sleep deprived minds <laughs> and that's that's funny because uh, every year i got i got my trail stand or trail camera set up and i got my tree stand set up i'm you know for somewhat i'm 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 ready for the season and then just like this last season i did not hunt one pre-hung tree stand the entire you know so you got this plan put together and then yeah sometimes you use that plan and then sometimes it's just run and gun sure. all year long or you know, or hell, you get, you're driving to your stand and you see a, you know, a piece of property that you've never, you haven't hunted in the past three years, but you have permission to, and there stands a shooter buck in this field or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're just, okay, now you got to switch everything from what you thought you were going to do to this next, I don't know, the, the chase, I guess sure. you want to put it. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be able to have the options right. out there to adapt Mm -hmm. and and you know i've got i've got just this chunk of the farm tweaked and ready to go for him and and you know i I mean i wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden you know he shows up on the other end of the farm consistently now yeah and where i've got nothing going on you know and it's just it's the chess match but it's good to have options like that too to be able to to always go after uh maybe a good deer that that you want to that you want to get so I don't know. It's it's exciting to start running camera soon. I know that yeah. and, and see kind of what what these deer that I passed last year. What do they turn into? So now I got another question about this property that you hunt. But before we get into that question, I just want to send out a reminder to let everyone know to please sign up for the Lone Wolf giveaway. Please go and visit the URL lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers and uh, by visiting that website you will be able to enter your name your email address and you will be entered in to win one of several prizes that are going to be given away this summer Um, an alpha a climber an assault and a set of sticks and we're going to be doing that uh, July 1st, August 1st, September 1st, and October 1st. Um, and uh, we're going to be get, starting to give away some Lone Wolf products at the end of this month. Now, uh, also, when you sign up, you automatically get a discount code uh, for Lone Wolf hunting products. And that discount code is 
$50 off all orders of $199 or over. So that's roughly um, roughly 25% off um, based off those numbers. Or I'll just give you the code right here. It is 9FC50. So go visit lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. Sign up for the giveaway and receive the discount code so you can save uh, a good chunk of money on lone wolf tree stands and other accessories. So uh, there's that. Now let's get back into this podcast with Ben. Previously, you... Uh, you you plant food plots on this piece that you hunt. Now, I want you to talk to me because you shared with uh, me kind of your food plot strategy. And last year you had like, what, three or four different food plots, and now you're dropping that down and making a couple bigger. Tell me, you know, go into detail about that and tell me why you decided to do that. Uh, well, I yeah, so the, there were there the first year i planted three Mm -hmm. and i wanted to maximize the amount of food that i planted so this the the next season which had been 2016 i planted four food plots and and with the the way the crp contract is you can plant 10 percent uh of that acres it's allotted in crp back into food plots right so if there's 10 acres of crp you can put one acre of food plots in um I thought it would be a good idea to scatter uh, plots throughout the farm, which would include putting food plots on the edges of the farm yeah. and, and trying to draw in as many deer as possible. Um, but I found that that was working against me specifically, and it won't work against people all the time. I mean, more food technically is, is better, I guess, uh, for, for the most part. But, right. but um, from an access perspective, the, these plots, I mean, they, they looked good on paper, but they really weren't ideal for my limited access options. Um, as far as the strategy of, of what I planted, um, I, I, I initially planted soybeans and they, they did not do well. I, I, the very first year I hired, excuse me, somebody to, to, uh, plant them or drill them in. Right. No, no till the soybeans and they came up awesome yeah the next year i said okay well i want to do this on my own and, and really just piece together you know <laughs> yeah. and really earn it right and, and and i you know after borrowing equipment and, and piecing things together i finally got these these beans in but it just didn't come up the the same right um and the the deer hammered them so i uh i allotted basically you know two acres i was going to come back and put into uh, a, a brassicas mix so your right. radishes your turnips your um you know, your big leafy bulbs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, um, when Casey and I went there to plant, it was like, dude, we're just going to turn everything over and start from scratch because yeah. you're a lot in some of this acres to beans that don't even have pods on them anymore. Yeah. So, so anyways, we did pure brassicas. Um, and if anybody has ever, I'm, I'm, I would be interested to hear other people's take on this, but, uh, that farm hasn't had brassicas on it for a long for uh, at least for a while yeah i'm not sure how much that deer that deer herd is used to eating big bulbs that are growing out of the ground um it took a long time for them to to get on and realize that that was a palatable food source right uh uh bulbs like that you know with your turnips and uh, and and radishes they'll sweeten after 
the ground freezes as as you know last november was really warm right uh we didn't really get a hardcore frost to start to change the chemical composition of those things and, and it just i really didn't have much action on those food plots until december so going into this season i figured you know what i'm going to simplify the game here i know these two food plots are phenomenal from an access perspective mm-hmm. and i'm going to just take the acreage that i dedicated to the other ones and put them into these two right so i'm going to double down on both the sizes of these i'm still going to have options for every wind direction and kind of different parts of the farm so to me two is better than four right um so we planted uh we went back and no-tilled uh beans in this this past uh uh, a week and a half ago and and then the other plot is is mainly corn which would be my first time ever hunt, hunting hunt, hunting corn plot yeah uh, and then part of it, it will uh be some sort of winter green mix like the the radishes again i think right. so uh always i'm at this point i'm i'm lo- just learning when it comes to this food plot stuff i mean i hunt, hunted for a really long time yep um but kind of a classic tim deep timber big woods bow hunter that hunted travel patterns and not food patterns. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, I'm, so I'm still learning when it comes to this stuff. Right. So did last year when you had those four different food plots, did any of your access routes go through some of those food plots? Uh, maybe you're trying to get into a, uh, a deeper stand location for like, let's say a, a travel corridor and you had to go through those, um, food sources to get to that tree stand and potentially blow some deer out did did that ever happen with you yeah so this the 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 timber edge is is not super thick Mm -hmm. and that's one thing that kind of worked against me a little bit yeah um i i didn't necessarily i didn't walk through any other plots to get out of you know to to leave the hunting scenes um that night but the way that my access is I'm walking around draws or I'm walking. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's not a consistent truck to the stand straight line. That's right. Perfect wind right. scenario. It's just, that's just the, 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 the situation that, you know, the cards that I've been dealt with, with this, but, um, <clears throat> as far as the thin kind of that thinner, less thick timber edge. Well, especially when those leaves came off the trees, if some, I'm approaching maybe one of my stands, that I'm going to hunt like even on, you know, I killed my buck on, on New Year's Eve, but I hunted um, when the leaves were off earlier that in December. And uh, I learned pretty quick that some of those does were bedding up tight against that those food plots. Okay. In, into the timber, maybe, maybe 15, 20 yards. Not far. So, obviously, if they see a guy coming through an open area, I mean, they, they can see as, as clear as day out there. And that right. worked against me. So, I did change up. Uh, the way I was accessing it, even for the end of the season there, and that, that helped me with the buck that I patterned right. um, late. But, um, you know, you, you have to, you really have to consider how you're getting out of out of it. Because right. you can, and you can have a nice, big, beautiful food plot right in front of you with 20 deer, you know, there. Absolutely. But, but if you're getting out and you're blowing them out, I mean, that, you're only going to have 20 deer in front of you one or two nights, you, you know. So, yeah. Um, it's it's uh it's trickier than than what it seems right uh, so then you know you, you you got your food plots your plan anyway is you got the plan you got some of your food plot planted already pl- plots planted already then are you gonna go in and start hunting right away in october 1st 
or are you going to let that be determined 100% by trail cameras? Uh, I'm going to lean really heavy on the trail cameras this year. Yeah. More so. Uh, my time is even more valuable at this point as opposed to burning out a farm, right. hunting it hardcore right. anymore. I'm really, I am going to force myself to back off and use those cameras to my advantage. Um, and just follow the weather. Right. I, I've I've seen these past two years when I hunted. Like I, I know in 2015, we had some sign, some serious cold fronts come through. It seemed like almost three Fridays in a row. It was like yeah. bam, cold front into the weekend. Yeah, one, two, three solid days of hunting, and yeah. I've seen mature bucks moving. Right, uh, it was it was awesome. So I am going to follow. I, I am going to follow that uh, to an extent as long as I can find a buck that I'm. I'm interested in, right? Um, but I, I don't want to just burn this farm out, um, y- you know. And and I want to have some less high quality hunts, right? Less hunts, but higher quality, ones. right? Absolutely, <laughs> that's my goal for this year. You know, and that seems to be a trend that is happening. Through, you talk to guys who are successful whitetail hunters, and when it comes to mature deer. I'm seeing that, you know, there are the the handful of guys that go out and grind and grind and grind and grind where they're hunting 45, 50 days in a row, or, you know, to, to kill a deer. But I, I'm starting to see a trend of these guys who are hunting five, six days in an entire season. They're either managing their trail cameras or they just know when to go based off of, of historical information. And, and they're, they, there's no need to put in a 25 day, you know, hunt unless you are consistently getting trail camera pictures. And it's, you know, a lot of hunting is also, you know, got to be in the right place at the right time. And this buck has to walk within shooting range of this stand location on this wind, you know, and it, it becomes, I don't know, like, uh, a roll of the dice at some point as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, we can take all kinds of notes, but like you said, at the end of the day, I mean, you've got to be there. Yeah. And, and that deer is not going to have necessarily the same schedule. Absolutely. Is what you anticipated Mm -hmm. to. That being said, I've got a pile of notes now from trail camera photos, 10 encounters, um, and, and just staring at these maps trying to get an idea of when this deer likes to move right and 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 and, and why he likes to move um <clears throat> i've done that with pork and i've also done that with a couple of these deer that i've i've passed this this last year mm-hmm. um and, and man they gave me a lot of good evidence so it's it's interesting now i'm coming into year three where i actually have some notes that i'm taking yeah i'm gonna try to put that to the test as far as okay you know not even necessarily from killing him, from getting that first picture again. Right. Where am I going to anticipate right. he's going to show up? So, right. uh, man, it's fun though. It's oh. a, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I tell you what, it, it's a next level of hunting. Yeah. It, it really, or next level experience of hunting. Right. Is um, part of me wants to experience, you know, going out west and, and just roaming and, and going deep into yeah. into elk country and and you know that style of hunting. In fact, I, I'm I'm going to do that this this year with my dad in New Mexico, we're going to go on a, a bow hunt with, uh, for elk in New Mexico, Northern New Mexico, but having these history with these deer, man, yeah. is, is a lot of fun. Right. And, and it's so cool. It's rewarding. Yeah. And the thing that I like about it is 
little characteristics of antlers or tear in the ear and you can be like even if it's not even if it's a small deer or maybe has unattractive traits so to speak you can look at it and just be man that's so that's old charlie you know hey charlie (laughs) yeah you're still a 10 pointer you got a little bigger but you know you're not you're not a shooter yet maybe next year or oh man look at the jump that pete made you know whatever yeah that's i love doing that and then with the trail cameras that adds just another level to it to say oh well now not only do i recognize pete i recognize that pete has been here and he's been here and he's been here so that the third year of trail camera pictures of Pete, I can start, you know, yeah. I know where Pete's been yep. and I know where Pete goes. And that, that to me is just like the ultimate type killer. I don't know what killers do. Sure. You know, take it to that next level. Sure. So Huntera, right? You're, uh, you and your wife own Huntera maps and, uh, but, You've been on the podcast before, and we've talked about it. But for the people who don't know about Huntera, let's give a little high level of what Huntera is and what do you what do you do? Sure. Yeah. So uh, Huntera, we, we make custom maps for hunters, uh, farmers, landowners, uh, really anybody that needs to make a decision on land, whether they're you know they're buying it, they're farming it, they're planting it, or more importantly, they're hunting it. You know. Uh, we blend aerial imagery with a 3D terrain model. And when you put the two together, not only you're seeing a nice high definition picture, but you're also seeing all of the terrain change as well. Right. And that's really the foundation and that, that Huntera started from, from that idea of me creating terrain inside an image. Um, each map is custom made and the end, the end product is a, is a printed map. So we've got field maps that are waterproof and tear proof. We've got poster maps you can hang on the wall stick stick to the wall or frame yep. we've got magnetic maps uh that you can use to mark stands and cameras and other points of interest um but the 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 the, the goal is to create the best map for your scenario right. so you've got ground that you've got permission to hunt on and we made a map of that ground that you have permission on yep uh we make maps for you know anybody that from from 40 acres to 40,000 acre public yep. hunting land it, it, it's each one is is given the attention to detail to design the map for that specific person's hunting scenario. So, um, yeah, that's that's what we do. Uh, we've had the business for uh, coming on eight years now, right? And uh, uh, it, it allowed us to to move to Iowa here in, in twenty fourteen, absolutely, uh, and, and 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 transform it for, or take it from um, a part time. You know, initially it started as as a hobby in its in its infancy in. And I was making pocket chains for hunting season. And as I got busier and busier, Kate came on. And she started helping me with the, the front and back end of the business. And and, uh, and, and then she started to make maps. And, yeah. and we just got busier and busier. And, and it got to the point where um, she left her full-time job. That um, was kind of a dead-end street anyways. But I, I had a phenomenal career that uh, in, in Washington. But uh, Huntera was just going so strong. And we believed in it so much. She said, you know what? We're... We don't have anything to lose. We we got to go after this, and right. that's that's when we end up packing up and moving to the Midwest. And it was uh, it was it was tough. Um, it was not, uh, you know, this fairy tale dream. I mean, I can tell you right now that I <laughs> physically would wake up. You know, when we realized we were doing this, and, and we were going through the logistics of like we even sold our house on our own. We, yeah, you know, it just we're, we're obviously clearly pretty independent people, but. 
um, at the end of this, I mean, we were, I was waking up in the middle of the night and my body was doing some weird things, man. It was, it was not, <laughs> a, not a, get to you, man. Yeah. Like physically getting to me and I'd wake up and my mind would just be in six gear. And I, it was just, um, it, it was tough. There was a lot of things going through my head, but I truly believe this was going to be the best step. And now here we are on the back side of that, right. you know, with a successful business and we're, things are really going well and, and we're loving it out here and yeah. you're a three-timer on this podcast and here we go yeah i mean I, there's got I'm, i gotta have the title right for that i don't know i think you're i think i don't i know no one's been on four mm-hmm. but i think there's been people who've been on three so well, i, I want to hang up and then let's get right back okay <laughs> You'll, we'll do a, another podcast yeah. right away i'll go in your living room <laughs> all right but you you said something that kind of caught my attention just there and it was public land. And I talked with a guy about, oh, man, this was a while ago. And he says, well, I don't own any land. I don't need a map. Well, that's shit because <laughs> if, you, if you're a public land hunter, you have more access to land than a guy who only hunts uh, knock on door or has private land more than likely. Unless you're a multimillionaire. You're part owner in those hundreds of thousands of acres that are out there. Right. Um I hear people, you know, and I hear hear people complain about, you know, oh, I lost my hunting rights here or there or whatnot, and that does suck. I mean, that it would be horrible to 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 lose your hunting property, right. especially one that you've got a lot of memories on. Right. I definitely respect that. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, though, I mean, there's nothing holding you from going out and getting what you want. Right. And that can you can say that in in life in general, not just your hunting, but but when it comes to public ground, um, you know, maybe out of your comfort zone to travel out of the county mm-hmm. that you spent your whole hunting career in, but it's out there to go get. And right. There's some adventure to be had. Right. And, and as far as the, the maps, I mean, man, we, we uh, the, the, the public land hunter benefits from our maps a ton. Right. And, and especially in regards to you know, having maybe some different options of, of public land. You don't know the pressure that that's going to get come hunting season. So maybe right. you got two or three that, that you've got an idea. So you're going on a rut vacation or a, an out-of-state do-yourself trip, and you got to have good maps that are going to uh, help point you into the right direction as far as understanding the terrain and the, the, the land features and the cover uh, that is there to be able to attack that ground efficiently because maybe you only have a week. Maybe right. you – I mean, um, so – uh, I, I think it's, I mean, I take a lot, we take a lot of pride in, in making tools for people to Absolutely. have success. And, um, we do some work with Aaron Warbritton is one of my, one of my buddies from Midwest Whitetail. Mm-hmm. He's a public land hunter and, uh, man, he's, he's a good one. And he's, you know, uh, he's really put our maps t- to the test and being able to, to look at, you know, something that maybe 10,000 acres, 15,000 acres, and literally pinpointing two or three spots that he's going to go and try to ground truth and then move on if that's if that's um, right. not of interest to him. And it's really fascinating to hear people kind of use the tools that way, use right. the maps that way, you know, to to have them get the decisions, you know, rolling in their heads. So, right. um, so speaking of tools, you came up, you came out now with – your first digital offering. Can you talk, share with us what that is and how it's, how it's, how it's used in the timber? Yeah. The mobile map is, uh, is, is our first digital, like you said, digital offering. And, uh, essentially what, what it is, is, is the Huntera, uh, the Huntera map designed 
you know, for your property or for that public hunting ground, but now it's on your phone. Right. And the beauty about it, about that is that it, it works off of uh, the uh, GPS technology, mm-hmm. um, which is completely separate from uh, cell coverage or, 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 or cellular signal. It's, right. it's not the same thing. And uh, so even if you don't have cell service, you can still use this. Absolutely. Or, yep. or mobile data. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Yep. In fact, you can, and I, I, I do it to conserve battery. Uh, I'll actually turn my phone on airplane mode oh, so nice. that my phone is not seeking any other, it's not seeking emails or, or, or text messages or right. anything else. The only thing it's using is that, that mobile map and then the GPS. Okay. That little blue dot will follow you around wherever you go. So we didn't create the app. It's it's available. It, um, it it's a it's a third party application that we're creating a file that is able to be ingested into it. Okay. And it's got a couple cool tools. You can drop pins for all of your points of interest, like your stands, your cameras, your scrapes, your blinds. I mean, any any point of interest you can mark, color, uh, group together, label, and you can add attributes. So um, keep all of your inventory in the field there right uh, with the with the pins and you can measure distances and areas um that's straightforward but you can change the units uh so you can you know measure your acreage or your square miles or your yards or your uh, miles or whatnot and then you've got gps tracking which is my probably the coolest feature of it all and basically uh what it allows you to do is you just start gps tracking and as you walk on the farm it'll record that line or that that Absolutely. that path that's funny because you gave it to me to test before you went and sold it and i thought i was really good at shed hunting as far as covering property and then i look at i look down at the map of all the places i've been and notice these huge pockets <laughs> of places that i that i missed so i'm just like oh shit i got to I got to get back in there and, and go cover those specific spots. It's powerful to be able to see because because you get an idea. I'm always thinking about scale, you yeah. know, like the scale of a hunting property or the scale of how big that draw really is in the life right. of a deer or whatnot. And and uh, and this really helps you with that. Um, my favorite application was after when I hit pork, he went into that thick stuff as you know. I mean, yep. we were crawling through briars. Right. It's pure. It's several ridges of briars and uh and let me let me just elaborate on this what he just said of briars it is multi-flower rows thick and nasty don't go in there with anything other than like a heavy denim pants you know (laughs) like because your your shit's getting ripped up yeah yeah for sure we weren't walking we were crawling yeah i was literally crawling for him and and uh i when you're crawling, you just kind of lose track of where you're at. And that, that it's just, a, it's, a, it's an awesome spot because the way that the spurs come off, they're just not true East West. They've got some kind of curve to them and yep. you lose your orientation there. It's just a good, safe spot for them. And, uh, I had the GPS tracking just so I could kind of see where I've crawled looking for them the next day right. or smelling for them. And, and, uh, I was just all through that thing and it's still, there were still holes and still gaps, but, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see, see that. So it is a, it, it's, it's our, it's our first kind of step into that digital world. Um, it's been received really, really well. A lot of people are getting it as an add on to the printed maps. Right. Um, but man, it's nice to be able to use and not rely on cell service. Absolutely. So then let's see, we mentioned, uh, the GPS tracking, but that also plays a, 
like two rules or two rules because not only will it trap you know follow you around the entire time you're let's say going on a shed hunt or looking for a, a wounded animal mm-hmm. but it can also be a tool for planning talk a little bit about what it what it can do for actually like planning whether that's food plots or tree stand locations or whatever yeah you can walk the perimeter of a future food plot um you can uh lay out your entry and exit uh, and, and what you can do is actually just save that trace. So, yeah. so as you you start, you, you either measure or you do the GPS tracking, and you record that line. Uh, you can save it then, right? And you can use that for planning purposes. Uh, you know, uh, going forward, especially, um, it's really nice. I mean, Warburton was using it for uh, when I mean he's walking sometimes two miles in. He wants to he wants to be in the stand and hung uh, an hour before dark. I mean, he's going there at like three three thirty in the morning, right. pitch black, uh, and he's able to use this on his phone uh, and and follow the exact path of where he knows he needs to go. He doesn't have fire tax. Uh, I don't even know right. if you can use snake eye, uh, cat eyes or fire tax in public ground. Like it's probably state by state regulations, but he's using it to be able to set a path and then he's just following that. With right. Him you know, to get in, uh, under the cover of darkness. Um, how accurate is that? Like, f- f- is it 10 feet, you know, accurate within 10 feet or anything? Do you know that boy? It's close enough. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's within feet. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably not survey survey grade. Um, at least with our maps, I mean, you can only zoom in so far. Right. Uh, but, uh, the GPS capabilities of a smartphone are phenomenal. Right. They're, they're good enough unless you're engineering with them. So absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, now that you're in the digital world, I mean, is there, are you going to continue down the digital type path or are you going to stick to the bread and butter that's, that's some maps? Yeah. Um, the bread and butter of Hunterra is, is the, uh, the printed products. Yeah. There will always be, no matter how technical, um, you'd like to hope that hunting doesn't get, uh, you know, so technical down the road that it changes the sport. And some would argue that things already have, are starting to change it. Yep. Um, but there's always going to be a need for a high end printed map uh, yep. in, in a, in a cabin or a hunting room or, a, or, or somebody's house, uh, or to take into the field. And, and, uh, we intend on making those, you know, for the long haul for, for people. So it's awesome to be able to, you know, have tangible, you know, a yeah. tangible product at the yeah. end of the day is, is hard to beat. So that being said, and I, I know that, uh, when it comes to digital products, I mean, we need to stay, uh, we need to stay on the leading edge of that and uh, not jump into things and try to recreate tools that are already available. Right. I, I, I'm not in, in it for that at all. I think there's too much of that going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we we want to continue to come out with things that are uh, innovative. So um, maybe we lo- move a little bit slower than what other people would like, but uh, we're definitely <laughs> it, it's on our radar. Absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, when my computer's not on or I don't have my phone on, I find myself walking in, you made a, a magna map for me and I f- find myself just staring at it, like visualizing access routes, visualizing, uh, you know, tree stand locations based off of where I saw signs. So it's just, and it's also just a cool traditional way to, I don't know, visualize. I mean, that's how, that's how I use it. It's w- one of the ways I use it anyway. When you're not on your farm, that's the closest step to being there. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, uh, 
it matters so much to us. You look at a piece of property that you start to put together some some time on, uh, you can really start to put some pieces together. Yeah. It's fun. It's a good right. way to, to kind of get away um, mentally even. Right. Um, so. Well, let's see here. Uh, you're going to New Mexico on an elk hunt with your dad in, in September, right? Yep. Okay. Are you going to Kansas again this year as well? Yep. Going okay. to Kansas. Going to Kansas. Yep. You got Iowa. Yep. I want you to, I don't want to say call your shot, but I want you to tell me, are you, do you feel, if you were going to make a decision right now, do you feel that uh, you're going to launch another arrow at pork? <laughs> I do. You do. I do. God damn. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I'm gonna err on the side of confidence here. Yeah. Um. I'm gonna give it everything I have if he's still alive to get another arrow his way. Right. And I've. I've. I've been uh, preparing mentally and physically for for one more chance. Right. It's all I ask is one more. And if I mess that up again, then so so be it. You know, it wasn't meant wasn't meant to be. Uh, Absolutely. But uh, I like my chances for one. You know, if I get one more crack. I tell you what, this. The, the digital age is cool for one thing, and that's being able to share stories from hunters from all over the place. And when you told me that you thought pork was alive in April, I'm just like, I got to see how this story ends. And the same with uh, Kenyon and Holyfield, yeah. right? Yeah. And I want to see, I want to see how those two stories end. I, I, it's like a, it's like a, a movie, right? You've seen the first two. Now you got to watch the last one to see how the trilogy ends. And th- this is something that, you know, I, I don't ever want to kind of, I don't want to sh- stray from. And you and I have spoken about this. I mean, it, it all goes back to the animal. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that needs to be celebrated. And, and even if I don't kill this deer, man, he's given me a lot. And, and he's just a, he's just a monarch of an old white tail. Absolutely. Anybody that would lay eyes on him would appreciate him for what he is. Yep. Uh, I, I, I just, I just love thinking about what is he doing today? You know, what's on his mind? And it's mm-hmm. probably things that are pretty simple, yeah. uh, but it's survival. And, and it's just, uh, I, I think what's kind of um, working against me from a killing perspective or, you know, from the, the moment of truth there. Is I'm I'm thinking about that deer in in, in that regard. So there's yeah. kind of a fine line to walk, but um, you know, we go out and we try we try to kill these animals, and we do. I mean, there's we're looking at a, a, an awesome buck that you killed last year. Yep. You know, I got to spend uh, spend the evening with you. Yep. You absolutely. Know, that, that was a lot of fun. But um, the camaraderie the, these animals bring guys together on is is awesome. Yeah. And. Uh, the, the beast has to be celebrated. Right. And it's not always about killing them, at least for me. Um, but, man, the quest for them is where it's at. Right. Yeah. They bring a lot of happiness to the hardcore guys like us before the, any shot is even taken on it. Yeah. Right. And even long after the shot. And I just to reiterate something that we all really kind of already know is harvesting of the animal is only a minuscule part of the entire journey no right doubt. and and even with these deer hanging on my on my wall that 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 journey really isn't over for them mm-hmm. because as long as i'm alive and as long as i'm able to share the story of the deer or any you know you know like shipwreck i never killed him but i have a story about him these two deer up here and this one over here i got i have a story about him all these sheds i could tell you where all these mm-hmm. sheds were found and that's a story and just not only can I tell it, but I know that there's people out there who love to listen to it. Whenever I worked um, 
So I used to work at the National Counterterrorism Center. Right. I told you that. Yep. And it was, uh, man, I, I used to work this crazy job, and it was it was late at night. And uh, in fact, this is this is kind of funny, but I would there sometimes would be some downtime late. I mean, I'm talking like midnight, one o'clock. Yeah. Two o'clock in the morning, there'd be a little bit of downtime, and uh, I would get online and watch White Knuckle, <laughs> and and I would that's where I first learned about you. Yeah. You, you know. And uh, watch your hunts and everything, and it, you know, ironically, the literally the first human being that I meet in Iowa is you and I, you and Iberg, yeah, pulling into High V, yeah, getting some Chinese, yeah, and and you know, we we meet each other, and now here here we are, you know, uh, talking. But but what I'm getting at is is um, I used to work with uh, a couple of the, these we'll, we'll, we'll call them uh, older ladies, yeah. okay. And, uh, man, they, they were, they were awesome. They were, they were, we were all buddies and we were a team that would work, you know, yeah. into the night here and get stuff accomplished. But, uh, they didn't have a clue about hunting. Yeah. It, you know, grew up in, in suburban Washington their entire life. Right. And, um, hardcore with their career. They, they just didn't, they didn't hunt. They didn't know people that hunted. Right. And, uh, I, I was, I would sit here and just tell them stories about, you know, hunts that I've had or, or, or even I explained to them, you know, that, that every year a whitetail will shed its antlers, right. regrow it, and, and carry characteristics that it had in the past. Mm -hmm. If it got injured, uh, maybe the opposite side antler would, right. you know, so yeah. I'm telling them about, you know, all these different cool things about the beast and, and they're, they're, they're just loving it, you know, <laughs> and that's just another way to, to kind of carry on. It's, it's not all about the kill. Right. It's about the stories that go along with it. Absolutely. And, and uh, I just got a, the biggest kick out of that. And by the time I left, man, they, they were like certified QDMA deer steward <laughs> once, you know, <laughs> So, uh, I don't know. It was just, it was a lot of fun to even explain to the non hunter what hunting means to me. And, and next thing you know, I, I, I leave, um, you know, a phenomenal job and opportunity for, for, you know, one in the, the, that kind of pertains to, to land and, and whitetails and, and, and hunting in general and, and, yeah. my, and my passion. They, yeah. they, they got that. They respected that. And, and, uh, they're still asking me today how my seasons are going. That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I tell you what, bud, I appreciate you driving all the way out here today to the headquarters H to HQ and uh, good luck this upcoming season. Hopefully you're on before opening day. We'll get you on again just yeah. so you can be the f the, the first guy to f have be the a four timer. Number four. Yeah. yeah. I'd appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, thank you. It's, buddy. Then I'll have to give you like a little badge. There you go. It says four timer on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Four time in the nine fingers. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. All right, I'm just going to do this now. Um, huge shout-out to Ben for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. Huge shout-out to the partners of this podcast, Gearhead, Wasp, Ozonix, Exodus Trail Cameras, Lone Wolf, Ripcord, and Deer Lab. Uh, please go support those partners uh, because they support me. So shout-out to those guys. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, if you got time, go to iTunes, leave a review uh, if you like this podcast or if you think it's garbage, you can say that too. <laughs> uh, other than that, guys, it's that time of year where we're going to be up in a tree hanging some stands. So if you do, please wear your damn safety harness.
Thank you.